It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, January 10th, 2022. We're so excited to have you joining us. I've got Jack Nunnery as my co-host. Jack, good to have you on the show with me today. Hello, David. It's good. Well, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. We're excited to have you here. We're bringing you some really timely information we want to talk about. The Hot Topic segment is one that I'm really excited to provide with you. Julian Lumpkin, who is the founder and CEO of Success Kit, will be on the program. He's going to give us some ideas of how to increase your sales and close more effectively people that are considering using you. And we're going to talk about referrals and the power of referrals. So you're going to want to listen to the Hot Topic segment a little bit later in the podcast. Again, we break that out into two shows now, once you're listening on a downloaded basis. So be sure to go listen to the Hot Topic because Julian's going to be sharing some great information with you. Let's say thank you to IndustrySyndicate.com for them publishing out our podcast. Check out IndustrySyndicate.com for all the podcasts that are available on that site. Also, a special thank you to the MBA for the Mortgage Bankers Association of America for their sponsorship and our partnership with them. Check out the Mortgage Action Alliance. Also, sign up for Independent Mortgage Bankers Association Conference that's going on in Nashville that's coming up here in a few weeks. Unfortunately, I cannot be there. My wife has surgery. I want to be there when she comes out from under the anesthesia to tend to her as best I can. So won't be there, but you should be. So sign up for it. Also, Finastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution. Experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending. It simplifies the borrower experience and streamlines the process for employees. Anything we can do. I had a great interview with Karen Jenkins on October 4th last year. Go back and listen to that. She has a real good roadmap that they open up and talk about their roadmap or what they're developing, their approach to development really interesting interview. Encourage you to go back and listen to that. Also, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these are co-ops that bring both the mortgage originator and the vendors together. And that's valuable. But probably one of the most valuable things is how they get the lenders talking. Again, does not erase the value of the MBA. You should be a member there. But these are two co-ops where more and more of our clients are members of them. They get so much more because it's up close and more intimate and they're getting a chance to Speak to their peers of same size. They're looking at what are the solutions that are working for them. Check out both Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Also, I want to say a quick thank you to Josh at Incelerate. Josh Friend uh, does a great job with his technology, helping connect borrowers. Also, Knowledge Coop, connecting you as a lender to the borrowers in, in, in a very effective way. Check it out. Go onto our sponsorship page. Listen to what 
Josh has recorded there. Also, any of his past shows. Last one we had him on was June. We've got to get back on here. June 21st, uh, 2021. Josh was in there talking about it. So great information podcast. Again, our podcasts are to be informational, and you'll find them to be so. We're working with Ken Perry of Knowledge Group to get him on. Great provider of a learning management system. I think you'll find very exciting. Also, he's got a new release coming up, and I heard about it. I was on a conference call with him this last week. Man, he's got some exciting stuff that's coming up. It's going to be the industry standard. I barely convinced. Check out Knowledge Coop as well as Mobility, MMI, and Modex. These two sponsors do a great job of connecting you with loan originator candidates and helping you recruit them. And then also SnapDocs. Got to check out their eVault solution. It makes it so simple to get started in eNotes. And it's so easy to help you transact across multiple partners that are using the system. Check it out. Snapdocs.com. Also listen to the interview we did with Vishal Arano on September 13th of this last year. And then, of course, we've got one of our newer sponsors, Lender Toolkit. Brent Amler had him on in November 29th. And then we also have Success Kit, who is on with us today in the Hot Topic segment, Julie Lumpkin. Also, finally, I want to say a special thank you to our regulars. And of course, it's Jack Nunnery, Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, and Matt. Thank you for your contributions each and every week. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Raphorst. Hear what he's got for us. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA announced that it has directed the GSEs to increase upfront fees for high balance conforming and second home loans. The fee increases are intended to ensure the GSEs better achieve their mission of facilitating equitable and sustainable access to home ownership while improving their regulatory capital position over time. To minimize market and pipeline disruption, the new fees will go into effect for loan deliveries and acquisitions beginning April 1st, 2022. And be sure to register for MBA's IMB conference happening January 24th through the 27th in Nashville, Tennessee. To register, go to mba.org slash conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate that, Rob, very much. Thanks for the update, and I really appreciate it. The partnership we have with them is just so valued. Check out Mortgage Action Alliance. Again, this is one of those apps you can download from the App Store, and you can have your voice heard. Check out how you can read the latest legislative initiatives, but check out what the MBA is saying and what they're lobbying for on our behalf, and you can add your word to it. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Less TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. And it where it ends. The curves all bears from Yellen's friends. Bears win. Janet Yellen's central planning tendencies pushes on demand and allows supply issues to fester. Presto, inflation. Enter Jay Powell and the hawkish Fed that turned the short end bearish back in September. The long end tried to determine if inflation rises faster and stays longer than the economy sinks and lives in recession. The verdict's in. Hot inflation and supply problems will stick around longer than it takes the economy to falter. Jay says hello. High rate. We love you. 
Come enjoy the joyride. These views are my own. Discover the joyride at tmspotlight.com. Yes, definitely enjoy the joyride along with some great music parodies. Give us an update on the markets. Good to have them. Appreciate the job they do. Anyway, good job, Les. Appreciate it very much. Kudos to Kenterbone for his work on that. Edit, Matt Graham, founder, CEO, MBS Live. You can sign up for it. Be sure to, and I encourage you to do so. We love it at anyone we've introduced you to, Matt, and your services. Just go, wow, this is really cool. But other than us not liking what you're telling us on the screen. Yeah, it continues to be a don't kill the messenger a couple of weeks as far as uh, my market updates are concerned. Last week was particularly abrupt as far as bond selling goes. And it was more than a little bit confusing at times. And yeah, there were some subtleties that weren't immediately apparent unless you kind of stopped and went back and looked at when the selling actually came across. So let's break down everything that I'm, I'm saying here. First off, the big pieces of news during the week were the Fed minutes on Wednesday, which Les alluded to, and then the jobs report on Friday. We did see big selling after both of those events, and I'll talk about why in a moment. But incidentally, the biggest selling of the week took place on Monday when we didn't have any significant data or any significant news headlines, events, anything like that. So we did talk last week or the week before last, I can't remember which, about New Year trading and the fact that at least half the time we see a big move on the first trading day of the new year. And rarely is it tied to anything specific. It's just the way the ball bounces. It's the way traders are trading for whatever reason the positional considerations flowing into the market for a new trading year, a new week, a new month. And by the way, new weeks and months can bring their own trading positions anyway. So when you add a new year into the mix, and especially a new year where Japan and London are coming back online after two straight days off for holidays, then it can really sort of add momentum if all of the traders coming back into the market are on one side of the trade. And that momentum can be bigger than it otherwise would be because it's still not a perfectly liquid environment. There's still not as many warm pairs as there are before the holidays. So anyway, the Monday, if there was a sort of stealth takeaway, it could be this thing we talked about last time with the Omicron surge paradoxically being bad for the bond market, because if so many people are getting it, yes, things may be very bad in the short term from a public health standpoint. We'll see that jury's kind of out on that. And I don't have an opinion on that. But the thing that the market participants are considering is that that creates a faster move toward endemic status for the pandemic. And that's something that would be bad for bonds because it would be good for the economy and good for the recovery and life getting back to normal. And if that is incorrect, then it brings up another implication, which is that supply chain issues would continue to cause inflation and then inflation is bad for bonds. So either way, if you don't have the Fed support and if you have the expectation of a rising rate environment on the part of the Fed, then you really don't have anything to hang your hat on as far as keeping rates low because either the pandemic is going away and rates go higher or the pandemic isn't going away and inflation goes higher. Omicron narrative for the bond market. But the Fed did something very unhelpful. They didn't do it on Wednesday. They did it three weeks previously in the meeting that preceded the last policy announcement. And we just got the minutes for that meeting on Wednesday. So to understand how the Fed hurt the market on Wednesday, we need to talk really quick about how important past precedent is 
for financial markets and understanding the Fed's line of thinking. The Fed really doesn't like the surprise markets and markets don't really like to be surprised by the Fed. So one thing that is seems very basic and very odd that it would be this important is the idea of past precedent, the playbook, the order of events for the Fed, their order of operations as to how they normalize monetary policy. And so we have this plays in the playbook that we have observed from the last and only time that the Fed has been tasked with normalizing its balance sheet and backing away from QE. And that, of course, was the whole process that was incepted in the taper tantrum in 2013. And so the timeline roughly was December 13th, the taper was officially announced. It wasn't until December 2015 that they actually began to hike rates. And then it wasn't until September 2017 that they officially announced the balance sheet would start moving lower, the balance sheet runoff. That's where they capped their reinvestments and let it sort of naturally move lower without needing to sell bonds. So that was the order of operations, and that was a timeline that the market understood. I think the average market participant already knew that it was going to be a faster timeline this time around due to the nature of the, the pandemic and the fact that it wasn't an organic recession that caused the Fed to jump in with quantitative easing. So in the minutes, it was essentially revealed that that process is not only going to be accelerated, but drastically so. And then over the next two days, a couple of Fed speakers confirmed that. And all of a sudden, between the Fed accelerating the tapering process at the last meeting and then the minutes containing this talk about balance sheet runoff happening much sooner after the first rate hike, we're looking at a rate hike that's probably going to happen in March. And then balance sheet runoff could be announced as early as June. And the average respondent to a few surveys I've been in thinks it's not going to be any later. So four times faster or more than the, the previous playbook would suggest. So that balance sheet runoff is a big deal because after the Fed tapers, then the bond market still has a fair amount of buying demand guaranteed from those reinvestments. And as those reinvestments start to run off, now all of a sudden you're taking the biggest guaranteed buyer in the bond market out of the picture. And that is really bad for rates and bond valuations. And it is probably the biggest reason for the sustained selling last week. And we are maybe seeing some support here with 10-year yields in the 1.8 range. 1.77 has certainly been an important level, but I think that to whatever extent the economy remains on track or Omicron looks better than Delta as far as its public health impact, then these things continue to be concerns as far as a sustained rising rate environment. At some point, technicals will kick in, value buying will kick in, will be oversold enough for there to be a nice little counterattack, but it's not the kind of thing we want to bet on until we see it materialize. As far as data this week, CPI, Wednesday, probably the one people are watching the most expected to come in at 0.9 last time. So the periodic inflation updates are going to continue to be important, but I would urge everyone to remember that since inflation is measured year over year, then even if prices simply hold steady at these new super high levels for whatever you're measuring, whether it's that jar of peanut butter or a used car, inflation is going to come down even if prices hold steady because it's measured in year over year terms. Very last thing, MBS coupons. I've been getting a lot of questions about this on MBS Live, like which coupon do we yeah. watch? And we do have a primer on that. You type in the word coupon in the search, a little magnifying glass. You can find it pretty easily. But it just talks about the fact that if you remember nothing else, remember that any given mortgage rate can be slotted into an MBS coupon. You take the MBS coupon, add a quarter of a percent. That's the minimum mortgage rate that can go into that coupon. Add 1.125%. That's the maximum rate. 
So if we're at, I don't know, 3.625 minus a quarter of a percent, 3.375. So that would be going into yeah. a 3.0 MBS coupon right now. That's right. what I'm trying to say. Yep. And if you're over 2.75, you can't get into the 2.5 coupon. So we are basically looking at a 3.0 coupon right now, whereas we were looking at a 2.5 coupon for a long time. And many of the loans that are being originated right now can still get into a 2.5, but by the time you get to 3.75, you can no longer use the 2.5. So 3.0 is much more nimble in that sense, much more versatile. And it's not winning any records in terms of production right now, but it is uh, the place that we're watching until and unless we see a rally that takes us back into levels that we saw in the first half of last week, let's say. But we always update that on the fly as needed on MBS Live. That is good stuff. I love the commentary that goes on here. Don't like some of the screens the way it was spiking. Yeah, you said. Don't kill the messenger. Yeah, it's also just been brutal to watch. But it goes to this whole point. Jack, I'd love you to get your commentary on this as we talk about this. But the volatility that we're going to talk about, Les Parker talked about this, and I was on a conference call with Les late last week and doing what Les does, talking about that. And I was saying, Les, did, did I dream this? But did you actually say we, we could see the tenure under 1% again this year and then up? And I had my head 200 basis point trading range. He goes, yep, I'm kind of in a 1.68 trading range this year, but a lot more volatility than we had last year. What you do a great job is talking about where the markets are at and how people are talking about it and responding. That's the value of mbslive.net. That's what you do extraordinarily well. But I always like your insights because you got a real good pulse on what's happening out there. So any thoughts about what kind of range we're getting? Yeah, I mean, I, I do like to talk about ranges of possibilities, right? I just, I don't like to predict that we'll be on one side or the other at any given time. So look, one thing I always like to come back to is this, is I think the 19, late 70s and early 80s were an aberrant time for inflation rates, which was sort of a one-time spike to levels we're never going to see again. And to be worried about five, six, seven percent tenure yield is old guy thinking, and it's not really relevant right now. And so I think ever since then, we've been asymptotically approaching a zero lower bound where zero isn't actually zero, but something maybe one to three percent. And so I've been saying one to three percent is going to be our long term sideways range for like 10 years now. And I think that's still probably pretty fair. Did we get under one percent in 2020? Yeah, but I think we all know why. And can agree that that is not the a kind of situation that's hopefully going to be recurring in the future. So yeah. is 1% possible in 2022? Totally. I don't see a strong case for that right now because it would involve some drastic turn in probably would have to be COVID or some kind of world mm -hmm. war perhaps. And now we're really thinking about this inflation narrative. And that's what makes it tough in my mind. Like if inflation had calmed down as the Fed expected earlier in the pandemic, I think it would be a lot easier to make a case for 1% and we would need to see it really get to be less of a concern for that to be attainable in my mind. On the yeah. other hand, how bad could things get? Is 3% realistic for 2022? It feels <laughs> like a bit of a stretch. I like to look at fractals, if anybody knows what that means. The patterns just repeat with the clockwork regularity or in ways that are like, wow, it really did end up doing that. And the pandemic was one of those where it sort of mirrored the drop in yields that occurred in the initial financial crisis. But I digress. The point is that when yields were rising at their fastest clip in the past decade, if we rose at a similar pace over this two to three year period, it would put the top of this range around 2.4% in 10-year yields. That feels yep, yep. like a sort of a middle of the road target 
for a rising rate environment. If ingredients remain in place to continue upward pressure on rates, I feel like 2.4 would be where things would start stalling out or, or have a nice little bounce. But well, how fast things were climbing this last week, I was thinking, yikes, we may get there sooner than we want. This was just not sustainable. What goes up must come down, but it, it is a little bit today. But I, I got to give you a bad time, Matt, and I'm going to go to Jack right now. But Jack, did you hear him refer to old guy thinking just a moment that, ago? That's an article I wrote. I wrote an article that said worrying about high inflation is old guy thinking. I and love that. So yeah. I have to harken back to that. Yeah. Harken back to it. But Jack, you and I are the old guys on this podcast. So comment to that, Mr. Nunnery. Well, first of all, Matt, that just fits me perfectly, right? Do worry about inflation. So you swung the hammer, you hit that nail right on the head. If that's old guy thinking, then... About inflation, it's worrying about inflation. 6, 7, 8% inflation. Yeah, not 16, 17, 18%. Exactly. Uh, we saw back in the late 70s and the very first part of the 80s. So, Matt, I think you answered the question that I had, and that is, is, do you think that we're going to see the first rate hike in March coming out of the Fed? What's your handicap on that being the first rate hike that we see in 22? I think as far as the information we have right now, and if there aren't any major changes in the trajectory of how things have been going, it's at least an 80% chance, if not more, that it would be in March. David, when we talk about 2022 and Matt threw out there some of the potential drivers that could take the 10 down and our costs attend the rally, and he mentioned that war word, right? So, I mean, so 2022 is going to be a bump-up year, right? Because what do we got? I mean, we got inflation, we got the Ukraine, we got Taiwan, and then we've got elections in, in 2022. This could be a very volatile year depending on how the geopolitical front plays out across the globe, how elections transpire here stateside, and then mix in inflation and COVID. And you've just got a recipe for volatility, depending on what materializes or doesn't. Yeah, definitely. And we hope that Russia and China are all talk in terms of starting those wars. But if they're not, then yeah, that's definitely a feather in the cap for low rates, even though... uh, the motivation isn't something we would root for. Matt Graham, I love you what you do, Matt. I, I get so many compliments since you joined the podcast and the, the detail you have. And again, encourage people to sign up for this. You can get the extended trial without a credit card, which is sometimes required, used to be required, but it doesn't require for LOL listeners. So put the code in there. But Matt, you do a great job. Really do appreciate you. It's nice that you have someone on the podcast reminding Jack and I just how old we are. That's good. No, oh, come on. Love it. That's good. You do a great job. Appreciate it very, very much. Go back to work now. Quit messing with the markets. Get this thing turned around. Keep it going down. This. We blame you for everything, good and bad. <laughs> oh, that's just the job you have. Appreciate you, man. Have a great rest of your day. And grateful to have you here. All right. Alice Alvey could not join us today. She's got something going on. The person I talked to her earlier, she said hello to all of our listeners. She is, brings us so much great content. But I do want to talk about something and get Jacks on this. But we were talking about two words, the W word, which is the war. Matt was talking about that. And then also the C word, which is COVID. And we're looking at for the U.S. Supreme Court to rule on whether or not they're going to uphold the Biden administration vaccine mandate and OSHA enforcing on it companies. And so I've been doing more and more calling informally, calling around, certainly not an official survey. But we're hearing more and more people saying, Dave, it's not going to affect us because almost all of our employees now work from home anyway. 
So again, that's a carve out for this. But Jack, let me get your thoughts. Well, the Supreme Court heard arguments on Friday. It's going to be a close call. I think right now it's leaning towards a 5-4 or 6-3 decision to uphold the stay. We'll see how that plays out Wednesday. What, OSHA doesn't start levying fines until, what, February the 9th, David, and up to $14,000 per Currents. So there's mm-hmm. still time for the Supreme Court to deliberate. And based upon what I've been reading, it looks like a 5-4 or, or 6-3 vote to uphold the stay blocking hmm. the implementation of the OSHA vaccine mandate, being that it uh, is overreach of federal authority. Yeah, I think I'm kind of on the other side of that coin. I'm reading Reuters, which is one of the most recent one, conservative U.S. court justices on Friday question. And there seems to be there's more of a leaning against the Biden administration. I think that's what Reuters are approved. A couple others came out with that. So it'll be real interesting. I'm certainly hoping that it gets cast down, overturned so that they do not support it, because I don't know the, the unintended consequences of that kind of upholding that, to put that on companies. There's so many people. It's such a volatile, charged issue that I think you're going to find a lot of people saying, forget it. I'm not going to stay here. Find another company that'll let me work from home. Now, that's certainly a trend that is very, very popular amongst the operational people. Harder to hire an underwriter these days if you're saying, yeah, you got to come into the office. More and more of them saying, nope, you want me to work for you. I got to work from home. So going to be interesting. Well, David, I think it was Les or Matt were talking about the latest job report. It was supposed to come in at about 400000 It came in at one ninety nine. That was a surprise. Another surprise was unemployment fell from yeah. 4.2 to 3.9. So we're in an extremely tight labor market. And to disrupt countless thousands of employees with the OSHA vaccine mandate could further exacerbate what is already a tight labor market, David. Hey, it could, and we shall see. It's going to be coming out sometime this week. We should be hearing something. So let's see what happens. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate your thoughts on that. Let's get over to Alan Pollock. He's joining us with this week's tech update. Alan, how are you doing, friend? Hey, Mr. Lickin, what's happening? Doing well. Good. I'm really excited to hear what you got going on in the tech update, bud. There's a lot going on. Mergers and acquisition in the tech space is really taking front and center. Uh, there's a, a couple more M&A that are being announced. Where I'm a part of a mastermind group, and so I'm uh, hearing about their pending uh, announcements, and so lots, lots to talk about. Oh, Yeah. I don't have anything to report on M&A today, but there there are a lot of deals that didn't complete in 21, or there was too many deals to complete in 21. Lots of great things still to happen in 22. It really is just on that topic, David. And I'm going to keep today's segment because we're running a little over. The market update was was fantastic, so I'm willing to give yeah, up a little time okay. there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's hard to get into the market if you're a brand new tech company. If you're starting your mm-hmm. garage or you're based in Silicon Valley, it doesn't matter. This is an industry where you need to know people, you need to understand the technology, the lingo, the data sets. It's not easy to get into. So for the folks that have gotten in or have been able to get some initial seed money or some sponsorship, 
Are they part of a small lab? If you remember, Flagstar had a full-on tech lab going on. If you happen to be able to get into one of those, you're getting acquired, right? These smaller entities, these smaller vendors, they got great ideas, but the acquisitions will continue to happen. It makes them have more meat. It makes them more powerful as far Mm -hmm. as what they can offer to you as a lender or as a bank. And so we'll continue to see more of that. And then you've got some of the big folks out there, right, that are taking a big grab at owning as much as they can especially as the newer technology that we haven't even been able to put our hands on yet is still coming our way. Blockchain, Mm -hmm. the consolidation of the process. But it's really interesting. It's funny you bring this up, David, because a couple of the points in my segment today kind of read into this. But I I do want to just very, very, very quickly announce that the CES, Consumer Electronics Show, just ended this past weekend in Las Vegas with less people than normal. And every year after CES, I kind of bring up a couple of the cool things. There was nothing cool. There was nothing fantastic. It was a a lot of electric cars and concepts. The only thing that, if you Google it, the the most widely cool thing that anyone says is out there is a monitor called the Odyssey Arc. And instead of a monitor being curved, right, horizontally from left to right, it's heavily curved vertically from top to bottom. Really? really strange looking. Anyways, I don't know, but it's out there. So, but honestly, I didn't see anything. There's not a lot on TV. There's not a lot on the internet. There just was not a splash That's year for CES. Not... Interesting. I've got one of these monitors. <laughs> and by the way, if you have one, we'd love to hear your feedback because it took yeah. me a couple of months to get used to it. And, and they say that it's great because you don't have to turn your head to get the crank, but you do. You can't just move your eyes left or right. It, no. Yes, you do. What's tricky about going horizontal is you wind up putting too much stuff on the screen. You can't get anything mm-hmm. done. It's like paralysis. Yeah, You're better off just taking your iPad to a coffee shop and drinking a coffee and getting your work done. That's so funny. Yes, that's true. David, since I've got a mini platform for a second. I'm trying to buy a home. So if we could stop these home prices from rising. So Matt, do you have yeah. any control over the market? Speaking insane. of home prices, right? And, and we're in mm-hmm. this very unique place, David, right? We've got the big job retirement era. I forgot what it's been mm-hmm. labeled, but a lot of people are leaving their jobs to open up mobile dog grooming locations and things like yeah. that. They're, they're looking for the change, right? And so mm-hmm. get this. We've heard about Zillow and the iBuyer program, right? And they canceled the entire platform where they turned mm-hmm. it off. Well, two out of every 10 homes that are flipped by the iBuyer model, wound up with investors and large institutions that's squeezing out new buyers. Mm-hmm. And get this, it was due to bad technology, the reason why Zillow got out of the game, but the bad technology made horrible valuations. Yeah. And so they incorrectly valued the market, the properties, the locations, and everything about them. And about 100,000 properties they had, a good majority of those properties due to that technology and the bad valuation models had never even hit the market. And now they're being sold to large private institutional folks. So some really interesting things going on there. You want to check it out. It's probably going to continue to make some news here and there as they look to sell the rest of that portfolio off and go from there. By the way, fraud, David, fraud is huge right now. NEXT, they're reporting that fraud now costs mortgage lenders more than any other segment, which is crazy. And in Mm -hmm. 2021, the addition of LexisNexis, they, they looked at the true cost of fraud in mortgage. And it rose from 6.7% to almost 10%. Get this, every dollar costs a mortgage lender $4 at a minimum. Mm. That's huge. That's staggering. So you've got to think about your data policies, your security policies, and getting back to what we were talking about prior last week, which has to do with 
fraud and what happened to the data breach and all those different things. I'll save the bigger piece because it's, it's more descriptive for next week, but I will tell you this, in the first 24 hours of a data incident, you have to isolate the location of that data breach, you have to stop additional loss, and you have to interview all the people that were involved. I didn't share that one last time, so the first two were a recap. Whoever was involved in that data breach, once you've identified it, you must interview them and you must save all your data, your information, and your records. Next week, we'll get through the whole segment of data breaching. Uh, hopefully, the market Good. won't be moving too much. Other than that, it's a great week. Thanks, everyone, for listening and uh, looking forward to the hot topic. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Alan Pollock can be reached at Alan at sign TMS dash advisors.com. Alan is available. He loves hearing from you and be sure to get a hold of him and uh, share your ideas and what you're seeing out there. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week, friend. All right. So that wraps up this first part of the podcast, which is an update on all that goes on on the mortgage market. Again, we try to bring you current information. Spend a little more time on the markets because I think it's really critical as you look at where is this thing going, what's happening, and I thought that was worth the investment. That wraps up uh, the weekly mortgage update. Next week, we've got Whitney Nelson of Brilliant People joining us. We're going to be talking more about personality profiles. How do we work effectively within a company? How do we interact with people more effectively? Recently met Whitney Nelson. We share a, a passion for culture within companies. I'm really excited to share that interview with you next week. Say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, Success Kit, and Lenders Toolkit. So grateful to have all of these as sponsors. We appreciate you being here. Look forward to having you back here next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.